Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today my guest is Dr. Isaac Elias, and we're going to be talking all about heart-body medicine, harnessing the physiology of the heart for unlimited healing. Dr. Isaac Elias is a dear friend and he's a leading expert in the field of integrative medicine, specializing in cancer, detoxification, immunity, and complex conditions. He is a respected physician, researcher, best-selling author, educator, and mind-body practitioner. Dr. Elias partners with leading research institutes, including Harvard, National Institutes of Health, Columbia, and others to co-author studies on integrative therapies for cancer, heavy metal toxicity, and others. He's the founder and medical director of Amitabha Medical Clinic in Santa Rosa, California, where he has pioneered the use of therapeutic aphoresis as an adjunctive blood filtration treatment for detox and chronic degenerative conditions. I really hope that you enjoy our fascinating conversation where Dr. Elias opens his heart and shares his amazing career over the last 40 years of understanding how we're wired to heal. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner and I'm here today with my dear friend, Dr. Isaac Elias, and we're going to be having a really amazing conversation. There's so many things that I want to touch on, you know, but most importantly, really his beautiful heart and his ability to connect the heart with the mind and the body. And really, I am so excited to share and also further my own insight on these insights on healing that he's had through this amazing career that you've had. How many years have you been practicing, Dr. Elias? Uh, close to 40 years. 40, wow. That's close, um, a little bit less, but getting yeah. getting close. Another in, another year or two will be 40. That's incredible. And our paths first crossed about in 2014, and I was just really amazed. You know, I got to visit your clinic at that time in Santa Rosa and, you know, your supplement company and walking in your office. And there'd be these Tibetan monks, just these very peaceful, beautiful people walking throughout your office. And, you know, you could just feel like the healing energy in your clinic. And, you know, you're a medical doctor, but you have this whole other beautiful knowledge of, you know, the heart, the mind, the body, Tibetan medicine, acupuncture. And for those of my audience who don't know you yet, if you want to just share a little bit about how you've woven, you know, the Eastern philosophies and the Western philosophies in your career. Yeah, of course. I'm a native of Israel and I graduated from medical school in 1986, but part of my childhood, I lived in Korea for a year and a half. And I got exposed at the age 15 to Buddhism and to Taekwondo and to yoga in a very serious way. And then I became a yoga teacher. So I went, when I went to medical school, I knew I'm not going to do regular medicine. Uh, doing medicine was a chore for me. Going to medical school was a chore, a training I had to do. So while I was trained in Western medicine, I also became a yoga teacher. I taught yoga to teachers. I, I got trained in shiatsu. I got trained in acupuncture for three years. I got trained in herbology, and then once I got my medical uh, degree, my medical license, I came to the United States, did a Master of Science in Chinese Medicine, studied classical homeopathy. So I've been training vertically, topic by topic by topic, but within it, I had always meditation practice since my teenage years, and I got very involved with Buddhism in a very serious way. So for 20 years, I spent two to three months a year in the mountains. And for 10 years, I used to do half a day retreat, half a day work. And then all of it, all this esoteric practices and training and being the doctor of some of the greatest meditation masters in the Himalayas, 
and receiving some unique training. All of this was put together into a very simple term, which I called open heart medicine, which is more easily, more to de- easier to deliver, where I connect these aspects with our physiology. Because we are built for our journey. And we're, it's there anyway, even if we're not aware of it, Christine. But once we're aware of it, we can work with it. And then once we connect with it, it becomes infinite. So there's truly infinite healing potential. It's beautiful. And again, you were just right on your path, right? And you were meant to explore these. And oftentimes, I'm sure it was really conflicting, right? You have your medical degree information and your differential diagnosis and your ICD-10 codes and your labs and all these ways to label the body. And then, then you have this other like really holistic really beautiful interconnected way of looking at the body and how did you learn to weave and walk that dance of both worlds when you practice a great question so i came from alternative holistic you know i often say there are like when i give a lecture to naturopathic physician when i give a lecture to acupuncturist not too many can really understand where i am i'm really out there you know so i came from being out there and then I went and studied medicine and also became a bona fide researcher. You know, I have large NIH grants. I, I publish peer-reviewed papers. So I use science as a confirmation tool. But my ideas come from a different, don't come from the linear thinking. They come from insight. But they are based, they are grounded in science. So it would, it's what feeds my next step. And within it, I've learned what I know and I've learned what I don't know. And uh, I went through a long process of unlearning. I actually didn't read anything for years and just meditated for a few years. And then when I came back, I had people read for me articles and just give me small summaries. And then I would process it in my multidimensional way. And now I feel that my responsibility in my third act is to share this with the world, you know, for as long as I can. So that's really what I'm engaged in. Yeah. And I mean, that's quite profound, right? You know, like in what you're tapping into and, you know, it's something that I'm super curious and passionate in my own life. I feel like I'm just in the beginning stages in many ways of my exploration, but either you're tapping into this understanding of this knowing, right? Or this, there are many names of it, right? And words are limited. So excuse my you know, limited language, but it can be called the divine source, the unified field, the quantum vacuum, the ether, the fabric of intelligence that connects us all. You know, there's, again, many words for this, and it's probably so limited and actually what it is. And so when I hear you talk, and I'm just trying to share this with the audience so they can have this beautiful wisdom that you're sharing, that you were, you have all this knowledge and you studied, but you really opened yourself up for developing your own inner wisdom through the experience of connecting to yourself and also connecting to something greater than you to develop insights that were uniquely your own. I mean, am I summarizing that correctly or would you add anything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really nice, kind of neat to talk about it in such terms. It's really connecting with what is out there. It's not mine, you know, it's out there. And often when you teach, Often when you talk, often when you heal, you literally just sit there and you can feel it coming. You know, it's totally a, a channeling experience, but it's very tricky because uh, there is very different, there's a, a profound difference between connecting with psychic energy, which is limited to a certain, I mean, spirit and their limitation, or connecting to this divine quality, 
which is unlimited but much harder to connect to. And but once you connect with it, that's when you know amazing things happen, and you are really not making them. You just become a conduit, and you become a processor. And within it also comes my ideas, my inventions. You know, like you know, I work with therapeutic aphorisms, certain formulas. They just come to me in, su- in, in such a way, and then I will confirm them with research. You know, of course, and that's 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 the beauty of the integration. And so. And, and you know what I'm talking about on a cellular level, you know, it's not, it's not, I, I know you, but we really have to, to realize not, so medicine has absorbed into it some of these concepts that were totally alternative 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, right? And one of our important jobs and as it absorbs it is not to let it dilute it, not to let uh, conventional medicine dilute the profound holistic uh, principles and not to let alternative medicine become too dogmatic and too protocol driven right and you I mean looking at you after not talking to you for a few years you went through the transformation I can without talking about it I know from going through the protocols to seeing wow they're actually a big picture the details will just show themselves when you relax into the big picture so both of these are present in our body the need to maintain to survive on a moment-by-moment basis, and the potential, the capacity, and in some level, the commitment, the responsibility to just relax into something that is bigger than the moment, which is present at every moment, of course. And that's an amazing journey. And, you know, every time I just think about it, like I was thinking about this interview, and then these new ideas come to me, and I I accept it now. It's never going to stop. I mean, you know, I mean, like I've done it... I've been meditating for almost 50 years. And wow, it took so many years. And then every time it unfolds, it unfolds. Yeah, beautiful. And, you know, I've, I've definitely been curious my whole life of connecting with this energy in some fashion or another. But I, I would say through my, and thank you, my transformation last three years, I really had more experiences with it, more commitment to exploring this. And I feel... Really, uh, as I mentioned before, I I, I feel like, I, I, and I know you see this. I mean, I really I really believe in my lifetime that you know medicine is changing and shifting, and we're almost at this tipping point, as you said, for people to really embrace these concepts more than they probably did forty years ago when you when you started. And you know, and in a weird way, I always say like, even with like cell phones and Wi-Fi and all the stuff that is almost like harmful with to our health. It's in our consciousness that we can communicate with invisible fields of energy and information. And so people can almost hold, you know, turning to like this understanding of energy within the body and energy around the body and, you know, the divine informational intelligence that can, you know, merge with us and, you know, provide healing and insight. And so I I hope that, you know, in my lifetime, in my experience, which you've obviously been a pioneer your whole life, is that this is like the this is the set point for medicine you know this is really the beautiful how we can really are allowed to talk about the divine with the science and however we need to you know articulate that and you mentioned dr Elias, open heart medicine right and you have this book that i really want to talk about the survival paradox but walk me through like what you mean by open heart medicine so maybe i'll touch first for a moment on the survival paradox because it helps to understand so we are wired to survive. Every cell in our body is wired to survive. It's innate in us. It's automated in us. 
And because it's automated, we respond immediately through the autonomic nervous system, you know, which you test so much in your work. And we go through a sympathetic response within a fraction of a second of either fighting or flight and fear where we hide. And this, this response can be transformed, can be changed if we take a deep breath, if we relax, it will change. However, within a few seconds, the biochemical system kicks in. And once the biochemical system kicks in, it's a little bit more complicated. So the paradox is that what helps us to survive is what drives the fighting, which equates to inflammation. Inflammation is not the cause of anything, it's a result. Or it causes us to run away and hide, which causes fibrosis, isolation, division, which we see so much in the world. So our journey in the paradox is we need this to stay alive, but we need to transform it to grow. Because mm-hmm. to stay alive, basically, we have to, uh, to get to a certain age where we reproduce and, we, and evolution is continuing. To grow, to evolve, that's a personal decision. So we have a very sophisticated system that helps us to survive. And we have a growth system that is based on the heart. And it's based on open heart medicine. Because the heart is opened. The heart is not about protection. It's not about hiding. It's about sharing. So it's fundamentally different. Every cell in our body, as part of our survival response, would want to take in nourishment, right? And put out anything that is toxic to it. And it goes out to the extracellular fluid and the lymph system, etc., etc. A lot of your work. So it's basically survival. Every cell is like... For me, a cell is a living being. It has a personality. It's in my book. It's how I I, I look at it. So it has a boundary. It decides what comes in and what goes out. The only organ that develops, that behaves completely differently is the heart. The heart is open. It says, bring me the blood, dirty blood from everywhere. Complete compassion to any suffering from any organ, which comes from our past, right? Anything that comes to the heart, has happened in the organ in our past. The heart, what it does, it opens itself. If it doesn't open itself, we'll be dead. And then our personal drama is non-existent for the infinite universe, which the heart connects to, with the lungs, with the breathing. Let's go, on, let's go of carbon dioxide. Let's go of what we don't want to keep. Brings nourishment, clean air has a transformative experience on the lungs of changing the quality. And then what the heart does? It gives without discrimination, right? The aorta is a stiff artery. It doesn't expand or contract. It gives. Only once the heart gives, it can relax. And then the coronary arteries open up and the heart gets nourished. So the heart gets nourished only after it has done its job to nourish all of us. That's the embodiment of selflessness. And in this sense, the heart is an ongoing nourishment. Whatever drama we get, whatever toxins we have, we can detoxify, we can transform, we can psychoanalyze. You know, I mean, transform is not the right word. We, we can try to get rid of it. The heart says, this is all for me, wood to the fire of my nourishment. It uses it, the dirty blood, in order to create clean blood. Then it gives it to the whole body. And as part of its responsibility to nourish us, it connects with the ordinary. Now, today I'm talking about the concept we usually don't talk about. Uh, but again, when I say it, I kind of say it to myself because, I, because there is an absolute truth which has no beginning and no end. And there is an ordinary, conventional, dualistic approach. Everything is imbued 
in the absolute right people who their question you know we were we were made in the image of god right the divine is within us it's all the same it's in every cell so it means that everything has this quality so if it's the truth then these two qualities of absolute unchangeable and things which are changeable impermanent are present everywhere Within the physiology of the heart, that's amazing. I, I love this. We are built like this. I can't believe, you know, it is something original I, I came up with. And I tell myself, wow, how come nobody? I mean, it's, for me, when I meditate, it's like, wow, wow, every time. So as the heart just gives without discrimination, what does the vascular system do? It discriminates, right? Certain arteries expand, certain arteries contract, right? It decides who gets blood when and who is going to get off. So you can see the ordinary and the absolute inseparable in our physiology. Forget about sitting in a Buddhist monastery for 25 years and trying to experience. It's in our physiology. It's amazing. So when we look at healing ourselves with our heart, we can't focus only on our heart. We have to focus on our, the relationship between our heart and the end tissue that is getting the nourishment from the heart. So this is our cells. This is our tissues. This is the endless people who, has, who have created us thousand and thousand years. If you look back every 25 years, two people, we are made from infinite people. They are all within our body, within our cells. So when we take an exhalation of the heart, which is not a regular exhalation, the heart contracts and gives, all of this nourishment is washing anyone that has ever been connected to us which is present in our body genetically and epigenetically. And since the, so that's on a physiological level. We're talking physiology now. We're not talking, you know, sympathetic, parasympathetic, alpha receptors, beta receptors. This is physiology. Then, of course, we have the energy, the breath. We have the electromagnetic field of the heart, right, which is much bigger than our bodies. And in fact, it's infinite. Even if it gets very weak, it never stops. You know, the idea it goes out 10 feet. Yeah, what happened at 11? It's just weaker. You can't measure it. It's still there, right? Yes. It's our limitation in perception that says it's not there. And now suddenly we're affecting everybody around us, right? People listening, people, people, if people are seeing also, I don't know the nature of the podcast, then they'll get affected. They'll feel different, right? And then we got on the mind level, we got our intention. How pure is our intention? How much are we coming from the place of giving without trying to get something in return? And that's the sharing quality of the heart. For example, in Chinese medicine, the heart holds compassion and love, and this digestive system holds the energy of sharing. But actually, the sharing comes from the heart, because when the heart gives blood, the nourishing quality of the blood going to every cell in our body is the same quality of nourishment. And this is a microcosmos of our relationship with the universe, of course, as you know well, with our relationship with our microbiome and with healthy boundaries in the gut and healthy boundaries in the brain, right? The blood-brain barrier. And that's why this gut-brain connection is not like a big invention. It has been there for, for millennia, as you know. So the heart always flows. The heart always. The head always stops and always analyzes. Our brain is built to stop and analyze. We won't survive with that. Oh my God, it's dangerous. There is fire there. Go the other way. If it goes into the fire without telling us stop, we'll be in trouble. The heart always flows, always gives. The moment it contracts, the moment it stops, 
60 seconds, 90 seconds with it. So we have this infinite flow. And our journey is to relax into this flow. And once we relax into the flow, there is no hyperviscosity, there is no contraction, there is no stopping. And within it, there is this infinite quality of healing. Healing on a physical level, yes, on an emotional, psychological level, and finding this divine quality within our inner experience, within our outer experience, and which is really, you know, which, which is really something which is beyond the physical. That's really what I call the long-term medicine. Short-term medicine is this lifetime, which is very important. We're all focused on it. Long-term medicine goes beyond this life. And that's the idea of connecting with this quality. And it's just amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. And maybe laughing, I know I'm loading a lot, my apologies. When we do this and we have experiences, and experiences will arise, you know, especially this is for people who meditate and for people even who teach meditation and but rely on experience. I, had, I saw amazing light. I saw this. It's only an experience. The moment we fixate on something, no matter how good it is, it stops the flow. And it's all about flow. Everything is flow. We know quantum physics knows this. Science now is there, you know, it's like so neat. You know, it's no longer a, a dichotomy between spirituality and, and science, you know, it's like it's coming together. That's beautiful. I, I've been, you know, diving into the heart more and more in my own journey. And, you know, I, I learned some really cool nuances and everything that you just said that was really beautiful. And, you know, I mean, as you said, like our physiology is like wired, you know, our, our heart is this beautiful, it's like the I'm thinking of the wrong words, maybe, but like the conductor of our field and our physiology, and it, it really starts and ends with our heart at the end of the day, right? And so, so when we're in the state, right, of flow, and we're in the state of connecting with this energy and all the aspects of it, can you share with me how you've related this to your kind of medical practice and how you've really integrated, you know, this open-heartedness to your practice and how that might have really transformed some of your patients and the knowledge they received and the healing they received. So, wow. So some of it is some stuff that we don't really talk about, uh, but I, I, I feel more comfortable talking about it. So I've, I've, I've literally spent decades training in very esoteric meditation practices called great perfection uh, which are based on identifying this divine quality in this what we call uh, emptiness and awareness in everything everything and just recognizing it which is an on-off process it's very hard to actually recognize it so as part of it i was i really i i got trained late 80s 90s with the greatest masters on on almost groups of six seven eight ten people for six weeks in the mountains year after year. It doesn't exist anymore. And uh, so as part of this certain training, I had a certain vision in a very specific day when I was in a very long retreat in the mountains where this 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 knowledge base kind of was given, you know. And I didn't share it with anyone for many years. I just practiced it. And I could see how it's transforming my patients. And uh, now, you know, after after sitting in it and practicing it now for almost 15 years from this specific point, you know, my training is, is almost 40 years in, in, in Buddhism. Uh, now I feel more comfortable about sharing it. So really the journey is to move from doing to non-doing. But it's a very tricky subject 
because when you don't do something, you can easily disconnect. You can kind of pull back. So the famous Zen saying, once there was a mountain, then there was no mountain, now there is a mountain again. So you are in life, yet you recognize this impermanent quality, changing quality. When you start developing, and I, I am a beginner, I'm, I'm on, on the right highway, but I'm a beginner. When you are on this highway, you start introducing people around you to this quality. And so, for example, if we look at, uh, at craniosacral therapy, and you actually saw me doing it quite a few years ago, I put my hands and I don't do anything. I don't try to do. I just relax. So if you just relax, once you don't do something, then there are infinite possibilities because you haven't chosen one possibility, right? Yet you want it to go in a certain direction. You want the person to heal, right? It's a little bit what I mentioned with the connection between the heart and the blood vessels, right? The heart just gives. The blood vessels have to decide how to use the blood, right? If they are, if the body is very angry, if the cell is very resentful, if certain areas are blocked, right? And you're so familiar, I know your work with it. Then the nourishment won't go in this area. It will go in balance to another area. So all of this, which before was physiology, now we're moving to a much subtler level. And some of my teachers have told me, Isaac, you cannot teach it. You know, some of my uh, meditation master teachers from Asia. And you no, know, I am I am Jewish and Israeli. We don't accept no. So uh, uh, yeah, I think there is a way to to really give it. In. But it requires. So that's really the trick. The trick, and there is a point where the non-doing, but non-doing this comes from an open heart. And then it's amazing what happens to patients. And then within it, then come the techniques, right? The visualization and colors and sound and cellular and understanding the physiology and the biochemistry. I'm big on cellular biochemistry and mto one and AMPK and, you know, and IJF and, and PDK and PDH. All of them are playing a role in my decision, my formulation, what I do. But the decision of what to do is really multidimensional and it's fun for me to talk to you about it because I know that you do it, right? If somebody is, is based on like, let's say supplement or medicine based on uh, based on uh, on uh, on chemistry, they will give a certain thing to a certain person, but there may be a certain season where a certain color that an herb has will really resonate with them, right? So you'll give them the thing and then comes another season, it's not the right thing anymore. So it all boils into this and the more we can do it in this way, the less sophisticated we have to be in our training, the less machinery we need, the less complicated devices we need, you know. So it's neat. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it is really beautiful. And thank you for, you know, being really amazing at being open to sharing, you know, this wisdom and knowledge that you have. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we, I mean, it, it's interesting, right, in our culture right now, especially in the, you know, the biohacking community, you need this device and that device and this thing and that thing. And I mean, it, it's cool, right? I mean, it's an exploration and it's a remembering of, you know, some aspects of how we're wired. But as you said, it's like, ultimately, we're like the I mean, there's again limitation in words, but we're like the probably strongest frequency generators on some level when we get into these, you know, states. You know, there's just unlimited potential and possibilities. And so, kind of like switching gears. So, when I think about the heart, I also think, you know, just in my training and my 
current working model knowledge, we have this beautiful connection throughout the body of the heart and it's, you know, selfless and giving and nourishing and abundant and all these beautiful things. And then there's an energy from the heart to the brain. And there is this idea that I've read and I've experienced in my own body when we get in these coherent heart rhythm states that this information and energy can trickle into the brain, right? And to bathe the brain with this beautiful field and many other things that are probably, as you mentioned, the fields are upstream and the biochemistry is downstream, you know, from these experiences. And so... We, we have this dance between the heart and the brain. And then the brain is really like analytical and, you know, always thinking and analyzing and all of these things. And so you mentioned having a thought and positive thinking. And, you know, there's actually this catch with positive thinking, even though it's, you know, part of this process. So I, I'm just asking you to how do we connect the heart and the brain? And then how do we use our inner guidance system to direct our thoughts especially, you know, for this conversation from the lens of healing, let's just kind of, you know, think about, you know, healing with our, our thoughts. How do, how would you guide people to direct them? Sometimes there are topics of retreat I teach specifically on these questions. So yeah, I mean, this could be a five day lecture, right? <laughs> the heart mind connection, the heart mind connection is, is very big. Heart mind is present in the heart and the heart mind is present in the head. For example, they say that the openness, the relaxation is, at the heart level, and the clarity, the ability to see comes from more from the third eye, from the brain, the seeing. As we know, the electric, electromagnetic field of the heart is 100 times bigger than the electromagnetic field of the brain. So there's a dominance on the energy level from the heart to the brain. And we know that the heart has its own autonomic nervous system, you know, with tens of thousands of cells, and part of it is to make sure it keeps giving no matter what, that nobody can disrupt him because they got upset. And part of it is relationship with other organs. So in this sense, when we have a thinking process, an ordinary thinking process, process is rarely, if ever, based on the moment experience. It's based on what happened to us, right? We carry all this baggage, good one, bad one. And then when something happens, we relate it to something else and we respond. It's a habit. It's a neurological pathway. And for example, how do we know that it's true and you know so well? Because we take a scar and we inject it with procaine. It gets numbed for 45 minutes. And you know and I know that the scar gets smaller in 100% of the people. Some of them 10%, some 20 some 70%, 80 It can be 30, 40 years later, right? How is it possible? So the Germans talk about membrane potential. Forget about it. That's like... That's like Primitive biochemistry. The, the trauma is disconnected from the brain. And the brain gets to realign. So the same, it's amazing, right? It's, it's like mind-blowing. I mean, if you, you work enough on a skull, it literally can disappear over a few years. Even a thick, big skull. So the same thing happened on an emotional, psychological, mental level. So when we process, the more we can process based on the moment, the less we are affected by issues from the past, which are ours in this life, which are genetically driven, which are epigenetically driven, as a, as a coming from family of Holocaust survivors, I tell the story in the book about my grandfather and me, and how I had certain pain in my chest for decades that I knew is not mine, and when I went through a process of forgiveness 
and healing regarding the Holocaust. It, it lifted in, in, in literally in a few minutes after decades. And so when, when we can be more at the moment, then our decision making has greater clarity, which is so important in healing. Because clarity means that the blood flow is clearer, there is less hyperviscosity, there's less turbulence. What is turbulence? The blood wants to go here, but then, oh my God, I have to go here. Oh no, I have to go here. That's turbulence, you know, that's really turbulence. And so in this sense, there is a big effect on the on the neuroendocrine system, which is very much related to all the centers. So one of the ways to do this is when we take a step back and we take a deep breath and we create more space. And this is why mindfulness, which is really a first level meditation, I want to mention this, is so useful and so popular because it allows us to get space. But mindfulness, once we, we master it, for people that take this path, then you've got to let go of it. Because if somebody is mindful of something, there is doing in it. It's not true freedom, not true relaxation. In true relaxation, good and bad dissolves. That's, if you want to have endless possibilities, everything has to dissolve. Including your relationship with certain things that you think are bad for you. You know, people that are very strict on diet, suddenly they can eat more. Wow, that's a real healing, right? So that's the first step. We create this space. Thoughts don't interrupt us so much. Emotions don't interrupt about us so much. And we give it to the patient, either with healing, with acupuncture, with homeopathy, you know, with a lot of the work that you do, with the different testing, etc. The fundamental shift is where the thinking process drops to your heart. So when I talk to you, I'm hearing myself from here. I'm thinking from here. This is a part of it, but it's literally from here. So the heart-mind connection has been established. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. You still, you know, it's also a liability, right? It goes both ways, right? But now you come from your heart. And this is where, whoosh, that's where your field of healing happens. That's where you can affect a lot of people they say in Buddhism, they say, by seeing, hearing, touching, or remembering me, may I benefit all beings. You know, so you become a conductor. So some of these statements are so profound because they mean, yeah, seeing, hearing, touching, remembering, your f- energy field of your heart now can really affect and transform everybody. So anything that triggers a survival response is going to be a setback. You know, one, and for me, it's so fascinating because I got... I got into the Galactin 3 story, the survival paradox protein, almost 40 years ago. Uh, you know, no, no, 30 years ago, sorry, 1995. I made some of the most important discoveries about pectus or modified cytospectin, that when you block Galactin 3 with modified cytospectin, you can attenuate inflammation, fibrosis, remove heavy metals. Now, I'm no, no longer financially involved with this. It's really a freedom to talk about it as a researcher, somebody who is brought it to the forefront. But, you know, initially it was cancer, but then we started getting all this feedback on, on neuroinflammation, on joint pain, on memory, on biofilm. On, and suddenly you saw the publications on Galactin 3, there are 10,000 publications on MCP, there are over 80, on so many health conditions. And you realize we're dealing with a fundamental process. So on a physiological level, we got to address Galactin 3. It is the most important supplement. I stand by it. And as a researcher, and you know, I've developed a lot. You know, there are Tessonet treatments, the DCAIV, a lot of treatment. I've, Onocolevi, I was the only one in the world who ever did therapeutic apparatus out of the box. You know, I'm, so I've done a few things that I can take credit for. Yeah, 
There is something fundamental about it. At different levels of help, it allows us to peel this survival response on a biochemical level. So it becomes an adjuvant. But the real work that you are interested in, I'm interested is in making this amazing journey that is beyond MCP and beyond. It will affect the electin-3. You know, when people meditate after a heart attack, immediately in the ICU, they have less galactin-3 and they have less damage to the heart. So, of course, it's all connected. So the more we can come to this place, the more profound it will be. And it also affects our interaction with the patients because we no longer tell them what to do. We create a place where they can express themselves when we are on equal ground because the heart is a driver of equanimity, of equality, right? It gives blood everywhere in the same time. The only organ in the body, right? That's already different. So it's not only physiologically. So when we do it, we have to, re- and then as a patient, we have to realize that when we open up, what will come up may be very different than what we were planning to come up because we're trying to manipulate what will happen, right? How many of us right. do it? We all do it every day. Yeah. So, so it's an amazing journey. And as it unfolds, you never know when the big transformation will happen. You never know, right? You know, patients sometimes get better, boom. Sometimes it's, and then suddenly. And the only choice we have is to keep going. There's no other choice, just to keep going, keep going, keep, which is what the heart does, right? The heart gives, feels, gives. The heart feels, accepts, total acceptance, and then it gives completely. That's a normal, healthy heart. Yeah, and when you think about, I mean, I'm just getting the visual, um, especially I'm a mom, I have a young daughter, and, and I just remember that first moment, right, when seeing the heartbeat, right, of the baby in your belly, and it's just like that moment of, you know, life that starts, and then it, you know, it's going with us. I mean, one thing is very constant about our lives, no matter how much change we go through, is that beautiful steadiness of the heart. And you know, it's a, it's a very serious issue with COVID long haul. Yeah, yeah. And vaccine, yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's a Russian roulette, because one of the side effects, and Lyme, of course, is similar, but in, the, in COVID, it's actually so pronounced, is this hyperviscosity, this disruption yes. to flow. And, so mentioned and for each of us, yeah. for each of us, it's in a different way. So it's very fascinating. We are not the only ones who want to survive. The COVID virus wants to survive. The Lyme spirochete wants to survive. So when we are aggressive to the spirochete, then, you know, it will activate. You know it so well. You know it's your expertise. And surprisingly, but actually not surprisingly, the spike protein is practically identical in structure to galactin-3 because it also wants to survive. And the highest density of galactin-3 receptors in the body are in the lungs. We have data from, a, from Mexico City from the a very high-quality paper from August 2020 already. Patients who came to the, to the emergency room with COVID, regardless of the level of involvement of the lungs, the level of galactin-3 will determine who will make it later to the ICU and who will die. So we actually couldn't get a clinical trial because we are damn supplement and pharma was owning all the clinical trials, you know. But yes, so it's, 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 it's remarkable, you know. Uh, one of the important publications I've made because I, I, I work a lot on sepsis models with galactin-3 with aphoresis. So we published a paper, patients coming to the ICU with sepsis. We, no kidney disease, no heart disease, no cancer. So there's no signs of kidney damage yet. The level of galactin-3 at admission will determine who is going to die in the ICU and who is going to get long-term kidney damage. 
because why it's the alarm in protein? And within our life, it would get us stuck. For example, galactin-3 drives ejection fraction-preserved heart failure. It's not the heart failure that the heart gets too big. It's the one when it gets rigid. It doesn't expand anymore. It's not willing to open up. When, when we don't open up, when we are in fear, when we are contracting. So I think, and that's why I'm so happy that we are talking because we share the same path. I think that the journey is to really show people again and again in as creative way as we can, how it's all interconnected, how it's all interconnected. And then each of us as a healer, each of us as a patient, finds their own door. The doors are infinite. We just have to see them. Otherwise, we bump into the wall. Yes. Yes. I love, I love that parallel connection with like your life's work with Galactin 3 and your life's work with, you know, this beautiful open heart medicine. And I, I, I love that relationship. I, a lot of, you know, um, connections were made in my brain when you we were talking about that. And, you know, as we wrap, I, I just want to, in case people, I mean, there's a lot of information on Galactin 3, but in case people are not aware of what Galactin 3 actually does, like how it creates the rigidity and kind of fibrosis and the blood viscosity, like, can you just say just a few words about that because I think that's such an important point and everybody you can have your doctor measure this you know at a simple blood test so everybody can have access to this information so galactin 3 is a carbohydrate binding protein so it's a protein that bind different carbohydrates so it has a place where it binds and then once it binds it creates a pentamer and then pentamer attaches to pentamer it's literally create a coating a lattice formation will create a microenvironment for cancer, will allow bacteria and viruses to hide, will create the biofilm, will create the arteriosclerotic plaque. And also, galactin-3 is our protein for repairing from injury, from danger, either from lack of oxygen. So for example, in, in the brain, there is hypoxia. The brain will respond with inflammation, and galactin-3 will be driven to the area. And when you blow galactin-3, Inflammation will, res- will will reverse. So galactin three will activate microglia, neuroinflammation. Also, will activate uh, abnormal bacteria in, in micro and microorganisms in the gut. So, as part of it trying to help us, it doesn't turn off. So blocking it is very important for me. Interesting. Talked about the meditation part, and we talked about the galactin three as the structure that goes all the way to the cell. But also specialize in therapeutic aphoresis, which is treating somebody outside their body, right? It's interesting. So I treat people outside their body, which is another concept of it. For me, it's just fascinating how my journey kind of interweaved over the years. Obviously, it's not a coincidence, but I'm glad that the combination locked in a good way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And what Dr. Elias is mentioning is he has this really beautiful piece of equipment that takes the blood and it goes through filters and then comes back to the body. And you're working on you know, how does galactin-3 get removed, you know, in this aphoresis process because you see so many healings happen with this technique and, you know, trying to understand what is happening when we, you know, offload the blood, you know, from some of the things that are creating separation, rigidity, and stagnation in the the body. So I I think it's really such an important, you know, now that COVID is, you know, more ever present than long COVID and all the, you know, exposures to our terrain. I think the, you know, modern life, right? I think the blood cleansing is going to be more and more important in these times. So, 
Dr. Elias, um, just as we wrap up, is there anything left on your heart that you want to share with the audience? Well, I think I think we covered a lot of ground today. Yes, we did. It, it may be one of these podcasts that people will have to listen to more than one time, I think. Yes. And, you know, I, I mean, my, my, my book, The Survival Paradox, does introduce this in depth and then goes what 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 it means the survival paradox the physiology the biochemistry and then every every major disease group and then what to do about it of course and so yeah people are welcome to take a look at the survival paradox they can visit dr.elias.org and get get information about my work and you know, where, where i teach i i teach a lot of meditation and healing out of the country but i've made a commitment towards the late 223 to start teaching more in the United States, I think it's important for me to share it more at home. Oh, that's going to be beautiful. Well, we'll have all of your information in the show notes, and it has been so lovely to reconnect with you, and I have just so enjoyed our conversation, and I just want to thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Isaac Elias. And please check out all the information about his book, The Survival Paradox, and how to connect with him on his website in the show notes. And I am so grateful that you are part of our podcast community. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, we would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. That means the world to me. I hope that you are healthy and well and have a beautiful day. Okay.